So uh, this week we're going to pick back up with our sermon series on Proverbs. You've probably forgotten we were doing Proverbs at all. Uh, we're still doing Proverbs, and uh, today uh, we're going to talk about what Proverbs has to say on the subject of speech. So let's pray as we begin. Father God, we pray this prayer that David prayed in Psalm 19, that may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Four score and seven years ago, our, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or, or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. I say to you today, my friends, though, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream, a dream that one day this nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Never give in. <laughs> never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honour and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or give me, gives me any best place. And aren't I a woman? Nobody ever looks at me, look at my arm, and see that I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And aren't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as any man when I could get it, and bear the lash as well. And aren't I a woman? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because the goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because the challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, a moment we intend to win, and the others too. It is for this reason There was no flinching and no force of and by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside in silence, Though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure we have only to persevere to conquer. All right, so stay put for just a minute here. You can, you can clap. So you probably recognize at least some of these words, right? These are all from famous speeches that literally changed the world. So I have a question. We're going to start with everybody under 18. Can any of you tell me who said these words? Point. You can point to the speaker. Anybody? Ben. JFK. That was JFK's <laughs> speech about 
getting to the moon. Yes, Claire. Abraham Lincoln, Gettysburg Address, Miriam. Uh, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. Who else? Anybody know these guys? All right, over 18s are allowed. John Perry. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. <laughs> Anybody know who Johanna's speech, who wrote Johanna's speech? That was, anyone? Yeah? Sojourner Truth, right? 19th century women's rights activist and abolitionist. Um, so these are speeches that change the world. You guys can go have a, have a seat. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so in these cases, because a man or a woman stood up and spoke, something changed. People's hearts changed, people's minds changed, countries changed direction, um, agencies changed. And if those good words had never been spoken, the change might not have happened, right? We could be living in a really different world today. Um, we recognize that people's words, the words people speak, can be really powerful. And when we read the book of Proverbs, um, we discover that it actually has a lot to say about words, right? And we learn that you actually don't have to be famous um, or make speeches for your words to have power, for your words um, to be able to change things. Because words are powerful. All words are powerful. Not just grand speeches, but every little word we speak is powerful. That's what we discover in Proverbs. So if you could look in your service leaflet, you have a little sheet um, that lists several Proverbs about speech. I want to look at them together. Okay, so the first proverb on your page says, um, you got it? Let's, uh, let me, I'll read it first. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. So I want to read that out loud together, right? Let's read it together. Death, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. All right, now I want the men to read the first line and the women to read the second line. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. Okay, now I want the children to read the first line and the adults to read the second line. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. Now we're going to do it one more time all together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. I'm hoping we'll have that memorized by the time we finish this morning together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Could we say that about any other part of our body? The Bible doesn't say that about any other part of our body. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. So words can build things up. They can bring life and create things. And words can also tear down and destroy. Um, so why are words so powerful? And not like hand motions or melodies or dances. Why do words make things happen? I think to figure that out, we need to go back to the very beginning of our story. And here's a question for the kids. Who made us? God. God. And whose image did he make us in? His. In his image. God made us in his image. Um, and God made us like himself, right? And his words are powerful. So, for example, how did God make the world, kids? What's the first thing he did in the whole Bible? He, he spoke. He made the world by words, right? The first thing he did in the whole Bible was say, let there be light, and what happened? There was light. There was light, right? With only his words, God created this whole world. And in this world that God created with words, 
Words have power. God used words not just to make our world, but actually to teach the people in our world what he's like. And he could have done that in a lot of different ways, right? But he mostly did it by talking to people. Or sometimes even by writing things down for them, like we have with the Ten Commandments. Um, so God used words to make this world. He used words to teach us what he's like. And he also uses words to make promises. That's one of the most important things we actually learn about what he's like, is that he's a God who keeps his word. He's a promise-keeping God. He always does what he says. So because we're made to be like God in his image, we can do the same two things, the same, yeah, we'll focus on two this morning, with our words that he does. We can be creators, and we can be promisers and promise-keepers. Great. So those are the two things we're going to think about today. <laughs> Uh, how to speak as creators and how we speak as promise keepers. Uh, so first of all, our words can be creative like God is creative. So children, you might remember when you were little, your parents saying this to you. Did, did you ever hear them say, use your words? Did you ever hear them say that to you? Don't just whine, use your words. We just spent several days with our extended family over Thanksgiving and um, Sarah's sister has... Uh, uh, two small toddlers. So we heard that a lot this week. Don't just scream and whine for what you want. Use your words. Um, so we all learned when we were little that words can be very powerful. You can get all kinds of things that you want by using your words. Um, but today we're going to learn that words can be even more powerful than that because they can be creative, because words can make beautiful things happen. Um, so look back at that little page of Proverbs in front of you. And we're going to read what the next three say. These are things that words can do, good things they can do. It says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then the next one says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. All right, so look at those three little proverbs, and I'm going to ask you, what are some of the good things that words can do? What do those proverbs say are good things? Yes, Dante. Um, uh, is a tree of life good? Yeah, good. They can be a tree of life, so they can bring life. Good. Anything else you see there that, that words can do? Miriam. Yeah, they can exalt a city. It can make a whole city great by the words that are spoken there. It's kind of an amazing idea, isn't it? Anything else you see that words can do? Scott! Healing. They can bring healing, yes. They can bring healing. So these are amazing uh, promises that are attached to the power of words, that words can be creative. Um, but do you notice also that in all those proverbs, there's also bad things that words can do. Uh, so if we're not careful, our words can also be destructive. Uh, do you see in all these three Proverbs that there's a kind way to speak that brings life and healing, but there's also a careless way to speak that deeply hurts people? All right, so I'm going to give a little quiz to the children on this. It's well, whether you can tell the difference between words of life and words of death, okay? So death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's what we say, what we learn together. And I'm going to give you some little examples of things you might say. Um, and I want you to tell me whether you think that those words would bring death or would bring life. Would they build up your brother and sister or would they smash him or her down? Okay, so how about this? 
What would happen if you said to your little brother, you're fun to play games with. I'm glad you're in my family. Lies. Is that a word of life or death? Ding, ding. Okay, yeah, put thumbs up and thumbs down. That's good. So thumbs up. It's a word of life. What about this? <clears throat> You're a slob. Your room smells like a pig's bag. <laughs> yeah, well done. That's a word of death. How about this? Wow, you learned those spelling words really quickly. You're such a hard worker. Yes, a word of life to build up. You always get the bigger cookie. You're so selfish. Yeah, yes, great. One more. Thanks for helping me clear the table. You're a great brother. Yes. Word of life. Good. So it's easy, isn't it, to tell the difference between words that build up and words that tear down. Um, and I want us to see how this still works, uh, even when we're growing up, by um, having Sarah uh, share a story that happened last week with one of her friends. Yeah, so just last week, um, I was speaking... Get your notes off. All right. Um, please. <laughs> had just spoken uh, with her grandmother and um, was was really grieved about the conversation that they, they had had, because in the midst of this disagreement, her grandmother had said to her, literally said to her, you are nothing and you are going to end your life alone. Right? Happy holidays. <laughs> you know, here we are. Um, which, of course, wasn't just horrible. What was specifically designed for that person to, to push her deepest buttons and greatest wounds. Um, and we talked, you know, we talked about the disagreement and um, what had led to it and how she felt and um, kind of unpacked it together. And then I was on the phone, I was driving, yeah, I had just dropped off books at the library and I was about to cross um, Tennessee and I just had this strong sense that like I needed to not hang up the phone without saying something about those words that had been spoken over her. Um, and so I said, this is maybe kind of awkward, and I know you know this, but I just need to say out loud to you, like, you're not nothing, right? In the words of um, one of my new favorite songs, um, your value is fixed and your ransom was paid at the cross, right? Your value was fixed at the cross. In other words, that's where the price tag on your life was written out. Um, that's where Jesus decided how much you were worth. And look how much you were worth. If you were nothing, that would have been a waste of his life. So your value was fixed at the cross, and, and your life is worth a lot. Um, and then actually, we know how your life is going to end, how your story is going to end. We have the last chapter, and your life ends at a feasting table with your whole adopted family in the kingdom of God, surrounded by your people, your tribe. You have a tribe, you have a family that you've been adopted into. So you're not nothing and you're not gonna end your life alone. And I was like, I know you know this, but I just had to say it out loud. Um, so anyway, John heard that and wanted me to share that. Yeah, I love that story. Um, so I want you to notice in that story um, how much the grandmother's cruel words hurt Sarah's friend. You know, deeply damaging words. Can you see that, that those are words like sword thrusts? You know, that, that school rhyme of uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is absolute garbage, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like the least true thing that's ever been said. Like, words are far more, far more damaging than any weapon. Um, but then good words were so healing, despite the fact that they're obvious. Right? So most of the most life-giving words we already know. 
That's, that's kind of the, there's no great secret to any of these words. They're kind of straightforward and obvious. Um, but the, uh, this idea that you say it out loud, that you say the true thing out loud, you say it out loud to your friend or you say it out loud to yourself, and that's actually an incredibly, surprisingly powerful act. Um, so this is something that's, that was really laying on my heart this week, all week while I've been preparing this sermon, is this idea of speaking the truth aloud. Um, because uh, last week while I was at the healing conference, I had some people pray for me, um, and they told me some really encouraging words about how God viewed me, and it was all nice things. <laughs> um, but as they, as they prayed these things, I mean, I, I believe, I trusted them, but something in my heart wouldn't believe it. There was like a stubbornness in my heart, like I can't really accept that word, I can't really, I can't really hear that word, um, and I can't really uh, take that into my heart. <clears throat> and so I was praying about it, and I was talking to people, and even at the end of the conference, I hadn't really managed to believe the truth that God was teaching me. It still hadn't really sunk in. Um, but then I, all, all week I was preparing the sermon on speech, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to say this, you know, I'm going to say these things. Uh, I'm going to declare this truth that God has said with my lips um, and say things like, Lord, you love me today, even though I don't feel very lovable. Like, I am your adopted child today, and you have prepared for me an eternal inheritance. Just things like that. I mean, it's, it's simple, it's obvious. But you know what? As I said it, my heart learned to believe it. As the words were spoken, I was able to grasp hold of that thing. So... The first thing I want to encourage you to do today is to say true things out loud. Things God has taught you in his word and through his people, even if you think it's the simplest and most obvious thing in the world. Um, because where simple truth is still spoken, the light of hope will never go out. So lift your voice and speak up when you have a true word to say. But then on the other hand, we need to think very carefully before we say a, hurt, a hurtful word. So, you know, sometimes you just want to hurt someone, to pay them back, to say something that shows them just how much they wronged you and hurt you. Mm. But Proverbs says that words like that are sword thrusts. They're sword thrusts. It's not just a slap in the face. They hurt much more than we intend. Those words are powerful weapons, and they do much more damage than we mean to. So speak good words and be careful of hard words. Be slow to say the insulting or damaging thing that's in your head because it can actually permanently injure somebody. It can break their spirit. So Jesus' brother James said <coughs> that the tongue is a, <coughs> is a small but dangerous thing that needs to be tamed. It needs to be tamed. And James says we can't tame it ourselves, but God can God has the power to tame this unruly creature, our tongues, uh, and make them serve his kingdom too. Jesus himself said that man will be called to give account for every careless word he utters. Isn't that terrifying? I was preparing that and I read it to Miriam and her response was, starting now? <laughs> So there's a time when it's wise to hold your tongue and not say the rude thing that's in your head. Or maybe not say aloud an untrue or unfaithful thing that's kind of cropped up in your heart. Maybe sometimes it's right not to speak those words except to God 
in private where he can deal with them and speak his truth into them. Because words are powerful and they contain the creative power of God. So let's do our best with God's help to use them for good and not for harm. Okay, so our words are creative. They make things and they break things. Um, but the second thing that we want to think about this morning is that our words, um, or is that our God uses words to make promises um, and to keep promises, and that that's actually something we're made to do as well in his image. Um, so look again at your sheet of Proverbs at the bottom of your page. We see the second thing, words for promises. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So God is true to his word, and that's why he's a refuge, right? That's why we can rely on him, because he always does what he says. But look next at how God feels about people who are and are not true to their word, right? Look at the next Proverbs. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And it's because reliability matters to God, right? Because we're in his image and his reliability is really important, um, that our reliability matters to God. And that's why Proverbs teaches us to be really careful about what we promise, about what we decide and what we commit to. So look at those next two verses. It's a snare to say rashly, it is holy. In other words, to consecrate something to the Lord. And to reflect only after about making vows. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So doing what we say we're going to do matters. Because we're children of the Father who does what he says he's going to do. God makes promises and he keeps them. And he delights when we do the same thing. He made us um, to do the exact same thing. So I don't know how you feel when we start talking about making promises. Um, and I expect that there's uh, a spectrum and that you find yourself somewhere along this spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, maybe you're really comfortable with making promises. Maybe you're fine with it. Um, and you sort of your attitude is, uh, I'll do my best to keep them. But if I can't do it, no big deal. People will understand. Um, or on the other end, maybe the whole idea of making promises and commitments just scares you to death. <coughs> And you're so afraid of breaking your promises or failing to keep your commitments that you just stop making them altogether. You, you just, you're shy of even making promises because you don't want to have to break them. Um, so I want to think about a really important thing that Tim Keller says about this. He says, we are largely who we become through the making of wise promises and keeping them. We are largely who we become through the making of wise promises and keeping them. And he wrote that in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. So he wrote it to couples who are about to get married and make one of the biggest promises of their lives. But I think it holds true for all of our promises. Um, so uh, if we're careless about keeping our promises, then the person we become is an untrustworthy and unstable person. But on the other hand, if we're scared to make any promises, then we don't become our full selves. We deprive ourselves of this mechanism of growing into our fully human selves. <clears throat> so I'm not saying this is easy. It really hurts to keep promises. <clears throat> but keeping, making and keeping good promises makes us the people we are. And when you read through the Bible, you find that God makes a whole lot of promises, right? <clears throat> Hundreds of promises. And he keeps every single one of them, even when it hurts him. 
So the New Testament says that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. But keeping those promises led Jesus to the cross, right? Keeping the promises of God cost Jesus his life. Keeping promises is tough, but it's what we're made for. Making and keeping promises is necessary for us to become the mature men and women God designed us to be. So I want to illustrate this by giving all of your children an introduction to uh, basic economics um, and uh, talking about your credit score, okay? So children, uh, when you grow up, you're going to want to buy a house at some point, and the chances that any of you can pay full price for a house outright are pretty close to nil. Um, So you're going to need to borrow some money. All right, so you're going to go to the bank and say, can I have a couple of hundred thousand dollars so that I can buy a house? Um, and the bank is going to think about whether you're a reliable person to borrow that money. And the, the way it's going to know that is by checking something called your credit score. So your credit score is a number that tells the bank whether or not you're a reliable person when it comes to paying back money that you've borrowed. Uh, it's a number that's somewhere between zero and a thousand Zero being very, very, very bad. Uh, You can't trust this person at all. They will never give anything back. Uh, And a thousand being, wow, this guy, he would pay back every cent every time. Um, So when you're a teenager and you open your very first bank account in your own name, your credit score starts off somewhere in the middle. They give you something like 500 right in the middle. Uh, It's not that good and it's not that bad. And the bank just doesn't know who you are yet or what you're going to do. And if you borrow money and you don't pay it back, that number goes down, it gets worse and worse. And if your credit score is low, the bank's going to be cautious before it lends you any money, and it might just say, no, you can't have your house. Um, But if you borrow money and you pay it back on time, you borrow and pay, borrow and pay, your credit score gradually goes up. It gets better and better, up into the 800s or even into the 900s. And the bank looks at that number and says, wow, you're a reliable person. You can borrow as much money as you like. (laughs) All right, so that's the way that uh, the credit works. And I'm not saying it's a good system, but it's just the way it works. Uh, And I think it works pretty much the same way with people and promises, okay? If you want to be a trustworthy person, someone mature who can be counted on, then you have to make promises and keep them. Make promises, keep them, make promises, keep them. It's like borrow and pay back, borrow and pay back. If you make promises and you don't keep them, then your trustworthiness score keeps going down and down and down and down until nobody trusts you anymore. But if you're afraid to make any promises, then your trustworthiness score is just going to hover around 500 your whole life and no one's ever going to know whether they can trust you or not. But if you make promises and keep them, make promises and keep them, then you're going to grow into a mature and reliable person. So I think that's Part of why Jesus said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And it's why Proverbs says that there's no hope for someone who's hasty in his words, who throws around promises like candy, uh, and and doesn't really care whether he keeps his words or not. Proverbs says there's no hope for that kind of person, because his mouth is always writing checks his body can't cash. So... All of us can put this into practice right away. Wherever we're starting from this morning, we can practice integrity in our speech, making promises and keeping them. We can do it in tiny ways and in big ways. 
So if you're a child living at home with your parents, if you say that you will clear the table after dinner, then do it without being asked again. You've made a promise. Keep it. Or if you say you'll be back by a certain time, be back by that time every time. And the more times you do it, the more your parents will quickly learn to trust you and give you more freedom. And if you tell your sister that you'll give her a turn in five minutes, then when five minutes comes around and the timer goes off, then you give her a turn, even if you no longer feel like giving her a turn. Because you said you would do it, it's being true to your word. And if you're an adult, you have even more opportunities to practice. So if you say that you'll come to a meeting, are you there every time? If you tell a colleague or a professor that you'll submit a project by such and such a date, does it always happen? If you arrange to have coffee with a, with a friend, are you there at the time you said you would be? If you RSVP to an event, do you show up, even if you no longer feel like going to the event when the date rolls around? And if you tell your family you'll be home by a certain time, do you arrange to make it happen, even if that means skipping that last errand? And if you promise something to your child, do you do everything in your power to follow through? Because you are helping them to know by your own faithfulness and reliability what Jesus is like. None of these things are trivial. They all seem small, but these small demonstrations of trustworthiness are actually gradually building your credit score with your family, with your community, with your church. So just like when the bank will make a decision to lend you $200,000 on the basis of 100 small interactions over a Starbucks coffee, people are going to trust you on major things on the basis of 100 small ways that you've proven yourself to be trustworthy. You're acting like your heavenly father. You are living like someone whose words matter, whose words have power, whose words mean something. And we learned that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Amen. Amen.